2 Corinthians 9, 6-15. through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this stopgap technology that allows us to proclaim truth to your people even as we are separated. Lord, the stopgap reminds us of the crisis that is progressing, that has necessitated our sitting at home separate from each other. Lord, please stop this virus, this acute example of natural evil and brokenness of the world. Be merciful of our cities and state and country and globe. Stay the ramifications of this virus and the impact it can have. Holy Spirit, use your scripture this morning to teach us and proclaim truth to us. Let the good news pound in our chests and its result be manifested in our lives because of your truth in this book. Help us listen and use my mouth as I speak. Amen. Well, good morning, New Life Church. I'm glad we have this means of reminding ourselves that we are community together, even though we're not together in a room. We sit isolated in our homes, but that has not changed the fact that we are in community, a community formed by the gospel. If you are a guest and you stumbled upon this video or someone sent it to you, I am glad it's found its way to you. And I pray that this truth would be of encouragement and benefit to you and that we would be able to meet someday soon. I'm standing on the stage at the Gladstone campus, and I must say this is the physical location of my most memorable church moment last year. That glorious Sunday morning when all of us gathered for the first combined gathering to worship our King Jesus together. It was thrilling to sing praises and hear truth and respond to that truth with even louder singing. This room reverberated praise to King Jesus. And now it's empty. This room may be empty, but the character of our King, Savior, and Lord has not changed. And that is why we are gathered around our screens longing for the day when we will be back together. This morning we will wrap up our series 
on stewardship. We did not look ahead on the calendar and say, okay, let's put a stewardship series on the calendar and it will go into the first four weeks of a crisis. That was, that was not our plan. But I believe that God is proving Himself providential and helpful in reminding us in a time of uncertainty that He is the owner of all that we see. We titled the series, Someone Else's Money. That's about as good of of a synopsis as I could come up with. The money sits in your pocket or your bank account, and that someone is God. God owns the entirety of the cosmos, and He put into your hands a small amount of His stuff, which makes you a steward. Two weeks ago, Tim talked about the biblical idea of tithing. That tenth that is given as the floor of your giving. A pattern of giving of those who follow God from the beginning of the book, the Bible. People have been giving this way since the very beginning. And last week, Travis talked about additional, above and beyond type of generosity. He reminded us through the example of a letter to the Corinthian church, the one I just read from, that, the, that one has to plan to be generous and that giving is a way to show people you love them to show people you care about them. And he challenged us all to plan to be generous. Just as Paul is spurring the Corinthians to be ready to give, to be ready to be generous. This morning, we, as we draw this stewardship series to a conclusion, we are going to lean in to the benefits and the rewards of giving. And my hope and my prayer is that we as a church will be motivated to be generous. Not just with the regular recurring tithing, but the extra cheerful generosity that characterizes the church of Jesus. Because, and we will see this this morning, God's abundance will not be depleted by the cheerful generosity of His people. God's abundance will not be depleted by the cheerful generosity of His people. I'm going to start reading again in 2 Corinthians 9 starting in verse 6. Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the end of two chapters of Paul queuing up the Corinthians to give. Paul has been saying the Macedonians... Your brothers and sisters in Christ, the Macedonians, they don't even have bank accounts like you. They don't even have means like you. They gave to help those saints in Jerusalem. They took your example and were ready to give and be generous. And now, Corinthians, you have to show up. You have means. God has given you stewardship of much. There is a lot of God's stuff in your hands. You need to plan to be generous. You need to plan to be ready to give. And Paul throws it all on the table. Here are the reasons to give. Here are the benefits to your generosity. Here are the things you can experience if you are generous. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you have a bunch of seeds, what is the best way to see something come of them? You put them in the ground. Every farmer knows this. This is a basic understanding of the rules of agriculture. If you want to see something grow, you have to give it to the ground. My wife just set up a small egg crate garden with my boys so they could plant some seeds on the countertop and they could 
um, they could put them in the dirt and they could watch them grow. They put the seeds in the dirt and now because they sowed bountifully, they gave their seeds to the ground, they're seeing plants bountifully grow. The arugula is popping up over here. The peas are popping up over here. The green onions are sprouting and they are seeing things happen. They are seeing growth occur. What happens if my son, in a desire to keep what he had because it is mine, kept the seeds in his hands? Nothing. Nothing happens. You're right. In their desire to keep more, they would have ended up with less. But now they get the joy of seeing plants grow. They will get, to, they will get the joy of eating peas and green onions and arugula. They actually like that stuff. They don't have any seeds anymore, but they will have something far better. Paul knows that God set up the generosity with his resources the same way he set up the world of agriculture. You give things and you get rewarded. You put seeds in the ground and you see things grow. You keep them in a jar on the counter and you go hungry. It's as though Paul is saying, don't be silly Don't be sparing in your generosity. Sow bountifully. Reap bountifully. You and I want to reap good things and God's, and generosity in God's economy brings good things. In light of that, plan accordingly. Decide in your heart how much to be generous above and beyond that normal floor of giving. Figure it out. Look at it. Look at the budget. Figure it out. Make a plan. This is something that is planned and not under the gun, not in the heat of the moment. There is thoughtfulness here. There is wisdom here. There is planning here. There is an understanding that one would decide to be generous and follow through. There is no compulsion here. This is not a situation where a plate goes around the room and then someone gets up and says, the elders have counted, counted the plate in the back, And it has not yet meant the minimum budget for this special offering. So we're going to go ahead and pass the plate around again. That's not what we're talking about here. There's no compulsion here. This is an invitation to a planned, cheerful generosity. Above and beyond generosity. And why should I do that? What's the benefit? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Is there a better reason than that? The God of the universe, the creator of all you see, the one who owns everything, he loves a cheerful giver. To think that God would give you some of his stuff to hold on to for a little bit, say 80 or 90 years at most, and allow you to be generous with it, and then show you love and affection because you cheerfully and generously gave it away. What more do you need? God loves a cheerful giver. The ultimate Cheerful giver loves it when his stewards are cheerful givers. Do you want to match the character of God? Do you want to match the actions of God? Do you want to be generous like he is generous? Do you desire to use your money in the ways that God would use his money? God loves a cheerful giver. That is stirring motivation for a regenerated heart. Should you need more motivation? In the next section, Paul continues in 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply. Supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul is speaking right to us. God loves a cheerful giver. Be generous, my friends. And you think, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be a cheerful giver. And then you open up the paper again. And you see the uncertainty cresting the horizon. You turn on news on cable or on TV or you look at your Facebook feed. Maybe just don't do that. However you get the news, you you turn it on, you see it, you read it. And things are not going swimmingly. Things are not going well. Things are not certain right now. The economy has ostensibly been shut down. People have already lost their jobs. Hours are being reduced. People are taking unpaid time off. People are being furloughed. And what do we do with our wallets? We squeeze it a little bit tighter. Because I don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I will have a job next week. I don't know if I will need my savings to get through the next couple months. I don't know what will happen, so now is not a good time for me to be generous. Paul motivates. Let me read it again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able. Do you believe it? The economic breaks did not render God disabled. God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to make grace overflow to you so that you have all sufficiency. Whose sufficiency? Not your sufficiency. That's the the fist clenching. God's sufficiency. In all things, at all times, even now, my friends, even today in April of 2020, the most uncertain year we have seen in my lifetime, God will give all graces, all abundance, showing all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in all good work. God is not promising the presence of wealthy Christians. That is not what this is saying. He is promising that Christians will have what is needed to abound in all good work. That we will have what is necessary. God is not going to put good work, righteous work, the opportunity to be generous in front of you and then say, whoops, I ran out of grace. God is able. God is omni-able. God has all grace. God has all sufficiency. God is not thwarted by a thing. God is not overcome by a time. God knows the good works prepared beforehand so that you can walk in them. And He will give you all you need to walk in them well. That is the God we serve. Paul continues, as it is written, he says, let me throw a little extra psalm, a scriptural reminder here in case you need some invigoration into this motivation. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This comes straight out of Psalm 112 to remind us how the righteous one walks. 
The one who would walk in a way that is in proper connection with God. The one who knows God and lives and moves accordingly. Psalm 112. Let me just read this. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in His house and His righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. I don't want to be the wicked man. I want to be the righteous man. The righteous one is the one who is connected to God. The one who knows that all wealth and riches are God. So he has no qualms, no hesitations in giving to the poor. Because it's all God's money. And what does he have? His wallet will not last forever. His 401k will not last forever. His platinum card will not endure. His credit line will not remain established. But his righteousness, his upright character attached to the very nature of God, that endures forever. That character given him because he is with God and God is with him, he has that for good. And nothing can take that away. That connection with God will never be liquidated even in death. That the righteous one is the one who knows that even death cannot break his connection with God. The psalm says, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Do you want to be like the righteous? Do you want to live as the righteous one that you are, Christian? Distribute freely. And if you are still doubting God's ability to supply His church, church's generosity with abundance, Paul keeps going. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The one who gives seed to the sower, remember the metaphor he just used. The one who would sow the seeds bountifully or sparingly They're not even the sower's seeds. That's what we're talking about. They're not even the sower's seeds. The one who puts the seeds in the hand of the farmer. The plants in the hand of the gardener. The one who creates the miracle by which the seed goes in the ground and dies and sprouts and grows and grows and grows and is weighed down with grain. Grain that makes the bread that sustains you. The God who sustains that process is the God who will supply your means of increase. He is the one who will take your giving and make the harvest great. He can take your generosity, the outpouring of your righteousness, and bring a harvest you would never 
expect. He can love people with your generosity. He can show the love of Christ with your generosity. He can make a path for the gospel with your generosity. He can take your meal for a friend and save a family. He can take the delivery of groceries and show His provision. He could take your gift of a mortgage payment and proclaim loudly and clearly that Jesus is the generous one. He could take the gift of paying someone's medical bills and proclaim that Jesus is the one who will make all things new. He can take those seeds and grow things you cannot even imagine. Paul says you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He can take your gifts and have people shouting thanksgivings. This verse, verse 11, gives me such immense confidence. The God who allows the plants to grow is the God who will enrich us in every way to be generous in every way. God will not give you a way to be generous and, not, and, not, and then not enrich you in the giving. Hear me clearly. This is not a giving so I get more garbage theology. This is not a false theology of prosperity. This is not an appeal to your greed so you give, so you get a great financial return on your investment. So you can upgrade your car or buy a yacht. This is saying that God's generosity, His abundance, His ability to enrich is limitless. And His ability to enrich you to be generous is not limited by the scarcity of this world. His proclivity to enrich your generosity does not fit in the zero-sum game of supply and demand. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. If God puts a way in your path to be generous, He will enrich you to do it, steward, Christian. My friends, get ready for this. You will be enriched. You may already be enriched to be generous in every way. Those ways are going to come at you. You may have already seen them. You you may have seen an inkling. Be on your toes. Be ready. You have the backing of the Almighty God enriching you to be generous in every way. The motivation so far, God loves the cheerful giver. And God will supply all grace and enrich you to be generous. What more do you need? Well, I got more. Paul's got more. In verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Friends, the ministry of the service of the Corinthians was not just that those in Jerusalem would receive the gift and after they receive it, their needs are met. Paul is heaping on the benefits of the generosity. Corinthians, your gift will put food in their bellies and a roof over their heads, but make no mistake, your ministry does not stop there. Your generosity will overflow in thanksgiving to God. They will receive gifts And they will say, thanks be to God. God provided what we needed through His stewards, the Corinthians. The reward or return of generosity is, yes, meeting the needs of a neighbor or member of the fellowship, member of the community. But the generosity of the stewards of God 
also brings thanks to God. What more does a follower of Jesus want than to divert words of thanksgiving to God? He says in verse 13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. They will approve the service as would be right and good, but the return of the generosity does not terminate on the need being met. They will glorify God. They will glorify God because of your submission. Submission. What is that? That particular act of submission is the service of generosity. But broadly, that posture of submission is the stance of you, Christian, when you prostrate yourself as a steward. And you say, all of this is God's. All, I yield all I am, all I possess, all I plan, all I save, all I have to the ownership of God. Submission in this says, none of this is mine. None of this is owned by me, and I am a steward, so I can quickly and generously, it can generously flow through me in generosity to others. And why is there this submission? It is the submission that comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ. We know the one who became poor, so we might become rich. We know the one that made us stewards. We have been purchased by the Son of God, so our posture comes easily. Because of this reality, our posture points to our confession. Our submission and service points to our allegiance. That service you do, that generosity you give, as a direct result of your confession of the gospel of Christ, that brings about the glory of God. And those of us who desire to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength, this reward of giving is thrilling. They will glorify God. Let's go. And he says, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Paul says, for them and all others. Their opportunities to give towards this end did not finish with Jerusalem their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. There would be other saints who needed help. There would be other neighbors who needed help. There would be other people in need who could be given contributions. Contributions of the stewards of Christ do not just end as a mere tax-deductible donation. That is not the point. Contributions reap the glory of God from the mouths of the served. Contributions from the hands of those who know the gospel creates reasons time and again for those who confess to confess the name of the generous God. In verse 14, he says, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. God was surpassingly gracious to the Corinthian Christians. They had means. They had ways to give. And as they took those opportunities to give, they were giving the ones in need in Jerusalem reasons to glorify God. Reasons to again remember the confession of the gospel of Christ. Reasons to again remember that God was gracious. Reasons to remember and pray for and long for their family in Corinth. Reasons to ponder that they share the identity as heirs with Christ. Reasons to give glory to God. Oregonians, 
Citizens of West Lynn, Wilsonville, Gladstone, Oregon City, whatever city you sit in right now, God has been surpassingly gracious to you. Travis reminded us with the words of Paul to plan to be generous. Paul is reminding us here of the exceedingly great benefits of your generosity. Friends, there will be many opportunities to give. We are sitting in the midst of a moment of uncertainty for everyone. The likes of which we have not seen since probably the Second World War. People are scared for their lives, for their families, for their friends. People are scared of sickness, of an invisible viral enemy. And uncertainty abounds. In the language of 2 Corinthians, we have a rising time of affliction. There is uncertainty and fear. Additionally, friends, family, your neighbors and co-workers are uncertain about their income. Next week, let alone next month. Last week, 1% of all inhabitants of the country applied for unemployment. That has never happened before. Never. Friends, there will be opportunities to be generous. Generous with your money, the thing you would be most tempted to hold tight. With your presence, with your words, with your time, with your resources, with your confession. If you don't know someone now, you will know someone very soon who is uncertainty if they uncertain if they have the money to make it through the month. If you don't know someone now, you will know someone soon who is sick. If you don't know someone now, you will know someone soon who, who shouldn't get out of the house, who, who can't go get groceries for themselves. There is already an influx of the most vulnerable straining our existing structures, the foster care system, the food banks, the care for the homeless. Keep your eyes open and you will see opportunities local, across the street, here amongst us, to be generous and to love people. We're in the midst of a crisis. But friends, the crisis has not changed the character nor the ownership of our God. Our posture in this is not predicated on the posture of those who face it with uncertainty and fear. Ours is a posture founded on the God who will one day make all things new, and in the meantime, has given us responsibility of stewardship because of our confession of Christ. Plan to be ready to be generous, knowing that the same God that backed the generosity of the Corinthians is the same God that backs you now. Know that your generosity, His abundance, has not been depleted because a novel coronavirus is on the scene. So stand up, church, and be generous stewards you have the owner of the universe backing your generosity. Whatever He has given you, be ready to be generous. And know this, God loves a cheerful giver. God is a cheerful giver. Know this, God will make all grace abound for all sufficiency, in all things, at all times, for all good work. Know this, God's abundance will not be depleted by the cheerful generosity of His people. Know this, God will take generosity and increase righteousness. God will take your generosity and increase thanksgiving. God will take your generosity and increase the glory people ascribe to His name. God will take your generosity and show others who Jesus is. 
What better opportunity could you have than to be generous with someone and they turn around and ask, why did you do this? Things are uncertain right now. Why, why did you do this? Why did you put yourself at risk? And you could say, oh, my friend, because I follow a generous God. He loves me. Jesus came to rescue me and put our relationship back together. He has been a cheerful giver to me. He became poor so that I may become rich. And I am forever connected with Him. And all I have is His. So I'm giving to you because I want you to know who He is. That's a, that's a wonderful opportunity. And as Paul ponders this, as he's thinking about the benefits, thinking about the, the wonderful outcomes that can come about when we are generous as a church. It is as though Paul begins to ponder the gospel, the confession of our faith, the gospel of Jesus, because he ends with an exclamation. He has been driving home benefit after benefit, reason after reason for us to give expressible gifts, tangible gifts, practical gifts. And then as though catching a glimpse of the vast magnitude of all the gospel encompasses, he exclaims, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We belong to the mightiest giver of all. He kept nothing from us. He gave us himself, Jesus, the Son of God who stood at the beginning creating all we see, who will inherit all that was and is and is to come. The one who is the king of the cosmos. All reality is his dominion. This God, inexplicable majesty, came down, set the grandeur aside, came to us, gave Himself for us. God gave us Himself. God gave us relationship after we had run away. God gave us inheritance we had no right to claim. God gave us mercy for which we had no expectation. God gave us a hope we had no reason to ponder. God gave us an assurance we could not fathom. God gave us the greatest gift, an inexpressible gift. And now we, His church, His blood-bought community, will have opportunity again and again and again to give expressible gifts that point to the inexpressible, Jesus. Father, You are a gracious, gracious God who gave us salvation gave us connection, and have been generous even on top of that, allowing us to be your stewards. Refresh our hearts with the great things you can do with our generosity, your generosity. The future is uncertain and daunting for us because we do not know what will happen. But you are not aloof nor in the dark. Make certain in our hearts your abundance so that we do not grip Material as though it is our certainty, as though it could be our protection. Let us not believe that lie and thus reject generosity. Empower us to give as those that know the one who owns the entirety of the abundance of the universe, of all creation. Holy Spirit, calm us where we are scared. Give us peace and sit us in an understanding of our relationship with the Almighty God, who is not thwarted by virus or economic trouble. Help us see the opportunities to love and serve and be generous and put the words of our confession quickly on our lips. Give us cheerful hearts of generosity. 
God, I'll pray it again as I have prayed in almost every Zoom meeting I've sat in in the last couple of days. End this crisis quickly and resolutely. And even if you do not, make the glory of your name through the work of your church be great in the midst of this crisis. As people experience the brokenness and groaning of this world, draw them to yourself, the one who makes all things new and restored. It is in the name of Jesus, the inexpressible gift we pray. Amen.